the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. It is President's Day, and we are live today. Great to be with you. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And, uh, you know... Lots of people are talking about their favorite presidents or their what they think are the top worst presidents or the bottom worst, you know, or the, their favorite presidents, the best presidents or the worst presidents. LA Times had an article put out uh, where some group of historians put out their list. Every year there's a list ranking the presidents. And it's making more news this time because they added uh, President Biden in there and put him at the 14th best president. And President Trump is uh, last on the list. But uh, the the part of the thing I think that's interesting is normally historians, first of all, they never put on, I don't think I've ever seen them put on a current president before, ever. I've never seen that happen. But President Biden's on the list. I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. Yeah, I know. And uh, and then usually historians, and that's what my major is in, by the way, I, my uh, degree from UC Riverside, from the Inland Empire, is uh, history. And I studied American history and a lot of presidents. So I know a lot about the presidency and all of that. And I also know that most of the time when there's these rankings, it used to be more of an academic standard to wait about 50 years before you really place presidents sort of in some kind of ranking for how good they are. And part of that, the main reason is that you want to get rid of all the emotion about it, right? So right now, to talk about presidents who are still alive is hard because there's people who have feelings but the feelings don't necessarily play out in the however that president did their job, right? You might have a really, really favorite president because you really like them personally, or maybe you got to meet them, or there's something that, that connected with you. You know, I had a friend in grade school, and uh, it was kind of funny because he came to school bragging about how his dad got a letter from President Reagan. And I mean, he was boasting about this. He thought this was the greatest thing. This was... Uh, this would have been the fifth or sixth grade I was in. Okay, so kid coming, you know, getting a letter from President Reagan. And a lot of people get letters, but his dad got a personal letter from President Reagan. Like you can write the White House and uh, you'll get something back probably. Um, I remember I, I sent an email once to uh, the, the Clinton White House was the first White House ever where there was email where you could email the president. So I emailed the president. I don't remember what I said to Bill Clinton. And then I got a – what's funny is I didn't get anything back in email. I got a paper response, an actual letter, obviously not from actually Bill Clinton. And it was long, and it was all this stuff about whatever accomplishments. But one of them was that he was the first president ever to use email. And then I wrote back wondering why Abraham Lincoln didn't use email because I thought that's a weird thing to brag about when the technology just now – became a thing. Like, that's an odd thing to brag about. Anyway, you'll get a response. So he got this letter, and the letter 
from President Reagan to his dad was a letter saying you're fired because he was one of the air traffic controllers that uh, went out on strike. If you remember that, the air traffic controllers went on strike and Reagan said, you can't do that. I'm going to fire all of you if you're not back to work on Monday. They didn't go back to work and they all got fired. Uh, so that was a funny letter to brag about, but uh, I'm sure that he got another job and he you know, did fine out there. And that kid is probably uh, maybe they have that letter framed somewhere. Uh, it's an interesting thing why we might decide what president is good and uh, bad. But over time is where you can really judge it. You know, how is history going to judge? Uh, you can't put the reason you can't put President Biden on there. He's not even done. Number one, you might think he's a terrible president today, but the way politics works LBJ once said that if that in politics, you can be chicken doo-doo today and chicken salad in six months or ne- or tomorrow. He didn't say doo-doo. He said something else. But you get the idea. And that is what politics is. Or you might think Biden's great today and you might think he's terrible in six months. You might, uh, you know, there's things change, but things also change over time. And it's much better after they've passed away and after there's been time to really find out well, how do we view that? You know, January 6th and 50 years, how's that going to be viewed? Uh, I think it depends. It depends a lot on how we view the COVID, for example. It depends a lot on whether or not Trump gets reelected. It, there's, it, there's multiple layers of that. How will the Biden administration be judged? Well, it's going to depend on his age. Does he finish his term? Does he get reelected? Does, there's so many things. So you can't possibly judge even people who are in recent memory from a historical standpoint. It takes a long time. President Truman, when he left office, he had a terrible approval rating. People thought he was terrible. He usually ranks somewhere in the top five today because it turned out that a lot of the decisions he made were very good decisions, even though they were highly controversial in their day. You know, President Truman, he integrated the military. He 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 recognized Israel, which the whole world was against him for doing that. And that was the right decision. He, you know, the, the question about whether or not you drop the uh, atomic bomb on Japan, that's still a question people argue about, but most people feel like he didn't have uh, any other choice. And that was there. There's, you know, his administration was very very uh, impactful on the next 50 or 60 years, uh, well into our our lifetime. So you don't know, and people are talking about that. But I started thinking I was going to do something on, uh, you know, best or worst are my ideas for that. Typically, your worst presidents actually historically are the ones that are in the mid-19th century, mid-1800s, okay? So almost every list, and he'll still be on the bottom of the list once people get over however they feel about Trump. The bottom of the list is still going to be James Buchanan. James Buchanan was the president right before Lincoln, and the country literally fell apart under his watch. He believed that slavery would ultimately just work itself out in the courts and that it wasn't really a moral issue and that people didn't really have strong feelings about this. And so it would just work its way through the courts, which by by 1860 was a stupid point of view. You know, slavery and abolitionism and stuff was an issue before the country even began. And most of the northern states by now had gotten rid of it. The fight in the south, the, the, the Christians and churches had divided over it. It was a mess. And states were already threatened. Of course, they left. And whenever he became – whenever he left office and Abraham Lincoln became president, the thing that James Buchanan said to Abraham Lincoln was, if you're as happy to be here as I am to leave, then you are a very happy man. Anyway, historians generally agree that Buchanan's the worst, and behind him are Millard Fillmore and some other people from that era. Uh, one of Martin Van Buren, he's often referred to in history as Martin Van Ruin. It's kind of a funny name, right? 
there are presidential speeches that we know that have impacted our life. And whenever you have a leader, hopefully that leader inspires you or inspires the kids, inspires the next generation, inspires you to unity or the country's purpose. And I don't know if you have a favorite speech that somebody gave or maybe just a favorite thing. I want to tell you my favorite speech. And I want to share this with you because maybe you've never heard this. And I find this speech to be encouraging and I find this speech to be outside of politics a little bit. When you, when you think of it at a human level, the reason I like this speech is because this speech is given by a president on what is probably for sure the worst day of any sitting president's life. It is probably the, the day of the biggest failure of any president we've had. It is a day of tremendous sadness, actually, and a day of tremendous difficulty and a day where you would understand if a person just sort of went off crazy and a day where you thought where you think this person is finished. This person will never recover. And I want to share some of that. It's such an important speech, I think, for people to hear and pay attention to that I keep this on my wall. And as a pastor, I had this on my wall, part of the speech, on my wall. And people come in the office, you know, they look at the books and they look. And I had I had the Nicene Creed, you know, I believe in God the Father. And it gives kind of the uh, statement of Christianity in a creed. Not a very Baptist thing, but uh, it's a very great statement. It's not the Bible, okay, but it's a great statement of our faith. And then I also had a scene from Monty Python's Dead Parrot Sketch, uh, because I wanted people to laugh. And uh, the Dead Parrot sketch is an old Monty Python sketch where they go and they buy a, a parrot. The guy buys a parrot, and the parrot's dead, but he's been nailed to the perch in the cage. And he tries to return it, and the guy argues with him that it's not really dead. It's hilarious. But the third one was the part of this speech. I'm going to play part of the speech for you here. I remember my old man. I think that they would have called him sort of a... A sort of a little man, a common man. He didn't consider himself that way. <clears throat> you know what he was? He was a streetcar motorman first. And then he was a farmer. And then he had a lemon ranch. It was the poorest lemon ranch in California, I can assure you. He sold it before they found oil on it. And then he was a grocer. But he was a great man. Because he did his job. And every job counts up to the hilt, regardless of what happened. That's Richard Nixon on the day he resigned. Now, that's not the part of the speech I'm going to share with you that I had on my wall, but it's part of the speech where he begins to get very emotional. It's maybe 20 minutes long. The first part is kind of rambling about this and that. But this speech is a speech that he gave to the White House staff on his way out. So he the day before he resigns in 1974, and he gives a little speech to the nation, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. 
and he gives that speech. Okay, there's that. So he's getting out. You know, most presidents give a speech actually to their staff. Just basically when they're leaving, they thank the staff and they thank everybody who's worked with them. You can imagine it's family and it's people who have just dedicated themselves to you and you gotta you got to thank those people. So he felt like it was important still to do that, not just get on the helicopter and do the wave thing. So he does that. And he's, it's obviously a very sad day. It's sad for the people who are there. It's a sad day for the country, right? Uh, it is a horrific day for anybody if you are resigning in disgrace, right? And he knows, he knew enough about history that this is how he'll be defined, right? If you go out to the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, which I highly recommend you go to that, he helped design that. And when he did, he said, we're going to make a big part of it about Watergate, even though his career is so much more than that, the things that he had done. But Watergate is probably what you think about when you think about Richard Nixon. And, you know, I think to myself, we all have bad days. We have, and we have the potential of tremendous failure, failure in our character, which is a big part of his failure, it's, it's, it's the part of his failure is character. Um, and so it's humiliating. His was very public. Most of us probably won't have that kind of public humiliation ever, but you're going to have it at some point with friends or family or people close to you. That happens, right? What do you do? Now, the, the end of the story for Nixon, by the way, is that he recovered. He had a comeback. They used to call it Nixon's comeback, the greatest comeback since Richard Nixon, people used to say. And it's because at that level of failure and hate and anger that people had for him and hurt for the country, he came back to such a degree of respectability that he was even used in official capacities by President Clinton. President Clinton literally sent former President Nixon to other countries as an ambassador for peace and for other things and official official trips. That's how much he had recovered in his reputation uh, as a as a statesman. And I think there's a lesson in there for all of us when we fail, even when we fail in a horrific way with our own character, and it's our own fault, and public, and people we know and care about and love have to feel it with you. I think it says something that he came back, but I want to take you to that day. It's a terrible day, bad day for the country, bad day for him, bad day for the presidency, bad day in every regard. He gets out there to thank his staff. He rambles for a little while. But he starts to talk about the future, and he does a couple of things to encourage the people in the room. And he says some things that, to me, I just found to be very personal. This is from a guy who's kind of uh, stiff and with the script most of the time. You know, Richard Nixon, you know, he's got some famous quotes uh, that were off script, you know, well, you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. And I'm not a crook. You know, Americans want to know if their president is a crook. You know, those famous things. But this is what he said. And I have a part of this on my wall. Listen to this. And keep in mind, this is the worst day of your life. We think sometimes when things happen that don't go the right way. We think that when... You don't pass the bar exam the first time. I happened to, but I was just lucky. I mean, my writing was so poor, the bar examiner said, we just got to let the guy through. We think that when someone dear to us dies, we think that when we lose an election, we think that when we suffer a defeat, that all has ended. We think, as T.R. said, 
that the light had left his life forever. Not true. It's only a beginning, always. The young must know it. The old must know it. It must always sustain us. Because the greatness comes not when things go always good for you, but the greatness comes and you're really tested when you take some knocks, some disappointments, when sadness comes. Because only if you've been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. Now, see, he says that to this group of people and encourages them. The reason I liked it, the reason I liked it pastorally is because all of us, and I've been there where I've had failures, where I I flunked out of law school and I had heartbreaks and I've had other things I wanted to do that failed. And I've sat in my office with people who are falling apart and asking, what do I do now? Because they've lost their job or they lost their family and, and because of their their own fault, right? Because they're the ones who cheated on their spouse, because they're the ones who uh, did something terrible to somebody else. And they are just looking for the next thing. How do you move on? And, you know, to me, when you see somebody who has failed tremendously and then you see them move on, it's something that's helpful. It's something that, you know, to me reminds me that as bad as today can get, there is a tomorrow. And because I have Christ, by the way, because I know that my sins are forgiven, because I know that if I've screwed up royally and, you know, I've really, I just feel like I don't know and I'm embarrassed and I'm caught, right, that, or if a person is, that there's still hope that God can still use you. I mean, that's one of the messages in Scripture, I think, that is super incredible, is that God uses really broken people, that God uses people who are pretty messed up, even people who were away from him, and he uses them to do great things. And the message here is that whatever situation you find yourself in, maybe you're in that situation now where you're dealing with a failure, a moral failure, or just other disappointment in your life, or maybe you're not feeling that right now, but you know what? You will. We'll all go through something. All of us go through some kind of crucible in our life, either self-caused or something that somebody else does to us or something that happens. We go through it. There is always hope. There, And when the disappointments come, when the sadness comes, that's a really hard time. But you begin to see some of the greatness of life. This is how he finishes the speech encouraging his staff. People who have stood by us and worked for us and served this country. We want you to be proud of what you've done. We want you to continue to serve in government if that is your wish. Always give your best. Never get discouraged. Never be petty. Always remember, others may hate you. But those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. That is such great advice because the people in the room there are people who are mad, whose careers also might be over because of him, or because, or maybe they blame the Democrats or they blame the, the war, you know, these commissions or they blame whatever. And to have the wherewithal to say, don't hate because it destroys you. That's an amazing thing to say on the worst day of your life. 
So that speech, it's Richard Nixon's speech to his staff, his farewell address to the staff, I think is one of the greatest speeches any president's given. I really do. I think that it's personal, it's very raw, and it comes on the worst day of somebody's life who did recover somewhat, who recovered, really recovered a lot to be back in politics later. You know, I went to his, to the library out there when he was lying in state there. The hour to walk by his casket was seven, or the the line to walk by his casket was seven hours long at two in the morning. That was incredible to me. I couldn't do it. I climbed up on the wall so I could look in. That's all I could do because I didn't have time to wait seven hours at two in the morning. Uh, But that says something. And I hope that it says something to all of us, that whatever it is you go through, whatever it is the darkest day that you might have, maybe you're going through it now or you, you will, there is recovery, that it's not the end, and that you can still be used to influence people, that you can take that, that situation in your life where you are the one who messed up and use it to help others and use it to help others not mess up or use it to help others get through that hard time. And I think God redeems that stuff in us. I think that he wants, he doesn't want us to have those hard times, but if we do, he uses that. And that is where we grow the most. I think that's a wonderful thing. Anyway, it's President's Day. I wanted to share that story, and uh, so I did. So check it out. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can follow us on social media at Pastor Scott Show. You can also get the podcast of our show. Any hour that you miss is at, at Pastor Scott Show, your favorite uh, podcast app. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show and click subscribe or follow. All right, I'll be back on the Pastor Scott Show Monday edition. In just a moment, stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here, the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth God's work must truly be our own. That is the uh, end of President Kennedy's inaugural address, the one where he asked us to ask not what our country can do for us, but what we can do for our country, which I think is it's a great address. It's one of the best speeches in uh, American president's history, that whole speech, if you watch that or listen to that. This is the Pastor Scott Show. It's President's Day. We're live today. You can give me a call right now at 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You got a favorite president, especially a president who's uh, who's in the past, somebody who's passed away. You know, who is your favorite president, if you think about it that far back. We talked about how the LA Times quoted a study that 
uh, had Trump and uh, Trump at the worst president ever and then Biden at number 14. Uh, but normally you don't judge presidents who are that recent or still alive or still president. Uh, that doesn't happen. But if you think about it, do you have a favorite president, somebody who is, let's just make the rule passed away. That's everybody except Carter is still alive, obviously. Um, but everybody since uh, George, uh, Bill Clinton. So everybody after Bill Clinton is still alive. And uh, Jimmy Carter's still alive. But all the rest of them have uh, passed away. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. I like, I don't know if you've noticed, but I do like the history and the history of presidents. So when we get to President's Day, I think about it a lot. But there, are, it's it's an interesting way to take a look at history and what kinds of events were going on and what did they think about it at the time, which matters a lot. Uh, as far as understanding some things. We talked about Nixon a little bit in the last segment. After Nixon left office, things were pretty bad. And uh, you know what maybe the most famous President Ford clip is? It's this. My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Our Constitution works. Our great republic is a government of laws and not of men. Here, the people rule. You know, we can always go back in times of trouble to the Constitution, to our founding documents. And this is something that when we go back to what they actually say, it does help us heal. And uh, Jerry Ford uh, certainly did help us heal a lot. Lots of presidents, they quote scripture. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. This is Jimmy Carter in his inaugural address. Here before me is a Bible used in the inauguration of our first president in 1789. And I have just taken the oath of office on the Bible my mother gave me just a few years ago, opened to a timeless admonition from the ancient prophet Micah. He has showed thee, O man, what is good And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? You know, we're not a Christian nation in the sense of being a theocracy or something where, you know, we have a very clear understanding that the, if you understand our founding and religion, when it comes to it, it's not separation of church and state as if to say that there shouldn't be religious people in government or things like that. It's actually the opposite or that you can't teach uh, religious values or other things. It's about the state can't determine for you what your religion is, right? That's, that's the history where if you were, you know, if you were in, Germany, you were a Lutheran. And if you were in Italy, you were a Catholic. If you were in England, you were either Catholic or you were Church of England or you go back and forth, depending on whose head was getting cut off and when the government determined your religion for you. Um, Even with communism, the government determines uh, either you're not allowed to have any religion or you can as long as the state is more powerful than your God is the idea. And uh, part of what is great about our country is that it allows people to 
have the freedom of religion. However, clearly we are founded on Judeo-Christian values. And, and, you know, Jesus says, doesn't force you to accept him. I mean, eventually there will be judgment on whether or not you do. But in this life, you are given the option, right, to accept him or not. Um, and that is something that the founders realized that throughout history, like we had the Puritan experiment here. And the reason it failed is because it was also trying to force Christianity on people and a certain brand of Christianity. And then they had kids and the kids said, no, we're not doing that. And, uh, it eventually degraded into the Salem witch trials, right. And some crazy stuff. But the, the victory from all of that was that we realized that God is above government, that we are a nation under God that our rights come from our creator, that the way to human freedom and flourishing is to realize that your rights come from God, not the state. That's one of the biggest things that concerns me about the world we live in today, that if you reject God, then your rights only come from the state. Then, And if that can happen, that means the state can give them and the state can take them away. That's a really big deal. Do you have a, a favorite president uh, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557, and in particular, one who's already passed. So we don't get into the politics of right now, but, uh, you know, something that is has inspired you at different times in your life, or maybe you've studied, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. JT, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor Scott, I want to share something with you that's that really opened my eyes to the to the root of uh, where we are today, if I can, involving Kennedy and Nixon, and they both knew and liked each other, and I'd like to share this with you, if I may. Sure. Okay. Uh, when I listen to people today that are that are pro-Trump supporters and that are anti, there's such a lack of sense of history missing here, but I think Robert Kennedy Jr., I've listened to him, he's a smart guy, and he's clued people in on what his uncle and Nixon and other people were dealing with, with regarding the Pentagon and the CIA and the FBI. You know, uh, over the years, it just stuns me how people forget. And yet there was not only the Pentagon Papers, but there was uh, stuff that came out about J. Edgar Hoover, who was there for 48 years, okay? Mm-hmm. And I read a book, uh, William Sullivan, who was his third-in-command, who said, and he just blew the, 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 the roof off of lies and cover-ups because um, that happened. And so what happened was is President Truman's Defense Secretary Forrestal flipped his lid when he discovered that the CIA was violating the charter that Truman set up by bringing in people like Reinhard Gellin, who was an um, intelligence <clears throat> specialist under Hitler. And they brought in Werner von Braun. He went to NASA. And then when Eisenhower gave that speech in the military-industrial complex, he was furious at the CIA, and he had real battles with Alan Dulles. I didn't right. know all this stuff. Yeah. And then Kennedy and Charles de Gaulle you know, found themselves, uh, you know, they were assassination targets. And they went up against these people, and Curtis LeMay and Alan Dulles and all these people, there was a viciousness in them. And later, Barry Goldwater, when he sat on the Intelligence Committee and Nixon and others, dealt with this. And I remember reading interviews over the years with Nixon, mm-hmm. Eugene, McCar- Eugene McCarthy, who I met a couple of times, and I heard him speak. He turned against globalism. And, you know, and, then, yeah. uh, and then Barry Goldwater and, um, and also George McGovern. And they had all changed their minds about a lot of things because these were all four senators who ran for president. They hinted the fact that there were very serious dark forces running our our society that people didn't know about. And my mouth dropped. That was coming from them, not from me. I mean, I read this in books. So what I'm saying is that a lot of the problems we're facing now go back over the years 
because the, the, what the CIA did with a lot of stuff they did over the years in the FBI under Alan Dulles and J. Edgar Hoover, it was so much criminal behavior that came out in committee hearings later on, the church committee hearings. And we forget these things. So yeah, there's a lot going on that's always there in politics. And we can't. And, and the reason we can't fix the problem now is we have to go back and clean the clean those institutions up. But there are people still trying to cover up for misdeeds that happened years ago because they want to they want to maintain the the sanitized mm. image of those institutions, and they cause problems for presidents. Sometimes. You know, there's yeah. I think every president deals with all of those, and that might be why they do become friends a lot of the time, not all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Later, because they have things in common, you know. There's there's great conversations recorded with Kennedy and uh, even uh, uh, Truman, Eisen- and Eisenhower. Truman and Eisenhower. And you have there's great conversations with Bush and Clinton, and Clinton and Elder Bush. You know, where they weren't on the same page on very much, but they became mm-hmm. friends. But there's also lots of stories of of people who didn't like each other. Jackson and Adams hated each other. The animosity That's there true. is probably worse than anything we've seen. But oh yeah. There's something to the public though where I think as a leader you can't control everything that's going on in the government and you can't change it, but your what you portray publicly mm-hmm. can help people. Well one last point, I'll let you go. Richard Nixon was giving an interview with Frank Gannon, who has a background in the media and a very, very good interview. And he said, you know, people assume that Jack Kennedy and I didn't like each other, but we did. He said yeah. we served in the Congress, the Senate. He goes, let me read you some letters that he sent me. And one of them he said, dear Dick, that's what he called him, Dick, mm-hmm. and he called him Jack. He said, uh, and they, they hung out together, They and he said, uh, I, I knew you were going places. You're a smart guy, but I didn't realize how fast. Congratulations. And uh, Nixon uh, really liked They liked each other. And um so it was uh, it was quite interesting I to, think, to listen to him yeah. say that. You know? I think it's a good thing to show the human side because we've dehumanized our politics uh, in so many ways. I agree uh, with you. Yeah, thank you, JT, for your call eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. You got a favorite president? Somebody that you like? Jill in Riverside. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor Scott. <clears throat> How are you? I'm fine, Jill. Just a few, just a few seconds. Who's your favorite president? Uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. And yeah. Were you alive during and, his presidency? I was. Yeah. And um, one of the reasons why I'm so <clears throat> I'm liking him because um, that was during the Torrijos Carter in Panama. Uh-huh. Torrijos Carter Street was signed during his presidency. That's correct. Are you uh, are you from there? Yes, I'm from Panama. Yeah, that meant a lot to people in Panama, obviously. Yes. Yeah, and it then did. After that, 2000, after this um, 2000, um, <clears throat> year of 2000, then uh, everything was passed over to the that's right. Jill, I, I, I appreciate Jill, that. Uh, uh, I'm out of time here, Jill, but uh, this is Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. General Secretary Gorbachev, If you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate.
Mr. Gorbachev. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That was President Reagan. That was President Reagan in 1987, right in front of the Brandenburg Gate in Brandenburg Gate in Germany. I was there a few weeks after that, and it was still in the air. The people in Germany were so moved that he said that. His speechwriters didn't want him to say that. They didn't, they didn't want him to say the part about Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. They thought it would be, you know, too offensive or something. Cowards. It was one of the most, it's probably the most important thing he said. You know, there, there are statues. I think there's 10 statues of Ronald Reagan all throughout Europe in these European countries, right? And because of that speech, because of everything that was behind that speech and the work that happened where, you know, the, the communist bloc fell. One of the things that disturbs me the most about some of what's happened in our educational world today is that we don't teach about communism for what it really was. You know why there's all those statues of Ronald Reagan? Is it because they're Republicans in those countries? No. It's because communism was devastating to those people, to the people who live there. It was horrific. It is something that always and only guarantees wealth and safety and security to a tiny few at the top. We're not even talking about you know, rich and poor differences in America, which are growing, which is a problem. But we're talking about a handful of people had all the power and wealth and everyone else was poor. When I went to Germany, I went to East Germany. I've told the story before. Short version is, though, we go in there and they have a special place we were supposed to go as Americans, right, or as as tourists into East Communist East Germany. And a different tour guide and all this uh, fluffy stuff about how great Gorbachev is because he was helping them rebuild buildings. There was still literally a pile of rubble from World War II more than 40 years later. And I'll never in my life, really until some of the COVID shutdowns, that I have the sense of people discouraged at that level, people working in different places. I'll never forget a guy standing next to a cement mixer at a building and the look on his face, it's just – it's emblazoned in my mind. I was a teenager. We Anyway, we go to this thing. We're supposed to go to this uh, Western ice cream shop and uh, a few of us, because we were dumb, left. And we go down the street and we're wandering around a little bit in East Germany in places we were not supposed to go. And every shop that we came up to, they shut the door and locked it before we could get in. It was like out of a movie where they literally, one place literally closed the blinds. Like there's a bunch of American kids, you know, walking up, closing the blinds and everything's closing because they would be in trouble. Maybe even go to prison if we had walked in there. We kind of didn't get that at the time, but I'll never forget that. That's, that's the world that a totalitarian system leads you to, a godless system that is there. And for Reagan to say, tear down this wall, if you were there and if you've paid attention to what happened in and what's still happening, the remnants of that in Russia now, the what you see in China and the persecution, you know, what's going on with all of the uh, people entering the United States from China illegally right now? Well, they're escaping a pretty bad system. You know, some people say, well, they're invading us. It's maybe China's way. You know, I don't know if that's true, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of reason to get out. There's a lot of reason to get out of all. People aren't sneaking into China People aren't sneaking into Russia. People are not sneaking in to totalitarian systems for a better life. That's not what they're doing. They never have. They escape. 
there's a few people. You know, you get your Edward Snowdens and some people who moved to Russia uh, who would come back if uh, somebody pardoned him on that. And that's the other part. It's like he would come back if uh, he had those those reasons. I'm not excusing what he did or didn't do. But uh, when what I don't like about the educational system is we don't treat teach the evils of communism, how murderous it was that Stalin killed 20 million of his own people, that Mao killed 70 million of his own people simply because they didn't want to agree with the revolution and what they wanted to teach. And you know what they wanted to teach stuff about marriage, about God about having kids, about all about the family, and that is a bad thing. You know, that's what I mean when I talk about education and I talk about the philosophy behind the education that people are getting. Why on earth would we not teach that, that the, the greatest terrible thing of the 20th century, communism, that many of us still remember, or many people alive experienced it, some of you experienced that, that we not only don't teach about how evil it is or even what it is, sometimes we even teach that it's okay. Usually somebody said, well, they just did it wrong. It's just, it's all bad. If you're worried about that, and I think you should be for your kids, I really believe this for your kids. You need to do something because even if your kids are getting a decent education with math and science, which depending on what school district you're in or what school you're in, they might be, although many are not, and we're graduating kids who can't read at a 12th grade level. They barely read at sixth grade, sometimes even third grade, or they can't do math. They can't do science. They're going to not do well in life because of that. But even if you're doing that, and then you get philosophies that don't match the reality of history or the reality of the world that are being taught for political reasons, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. As a parent, my kids now are 14 and 11. The best decision that I've ever made is I sent them to private school, private Christian school. And I did it for a couple of reasons. Number one is actually the philosophy. I don't want them to have to have, I want them to learn how to fight against evil philosophies of the world today. When communism comes up, I want them to hear that it's murderous because it is, that it has led to the worst regimes in world history in the 20th century. You know that more people died in wars caused by that in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined? That needs to be taught and understood so we don't go back that way. Not that we don't have other stupid things to encounter or try that that create problems, but we shouldn't go back there. I want them to learn uh, about the importance of family. There's the fact that families work, that if your family is intact and if the husband and wife love each other and the families and parents are involved with the kid's life, that that's the best scenario, no matter who you are, no matter what culture you're in or from. See, and the reason that matters is because, number one, it's true. Number two, the philosophies that are against your kids today teach that families are bad, that the nuclear family is bad, that then that that's the Marxism. Marx taught that it's the family that causes problems with uh, people not being able to have upward mobility and lots of stuff like that that you can read. And that's what's behind all that. I don't want my kids uh, to believe that. I want them to learn about it in the context of what's true and false and to be able to say this is true and that's false. That's one of the things you get from a Christian education. And right now is the time for next fall that you've got to decide where you're going to send your kids for school. And if you are saying we really ought to send our kids to a Christian school, and I think you should, I want you to go to kkla.com, click on the half-price tuition banner, because starting tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., KKLA will be paying half-price to Christian schools throughout the Southland. 
and you need to go in and pick your school and you need to get ready to call tomorrow, we'll pay half of the first year. And that's a great way to get your kids started. Go to KKLA.com, 888-528-2557. Carolyn Van Eyes, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Scott, um, I agree 100% with what you say about families and teaching your children. And I do that even though I was a single mom. My kids learned a lot also from the church and other people yeah. they knew because there was like more than 20 different nationalities and countries in my own church I go to. Their grandfather actually came from China, left China, went to Taiwan, came here in the 70s when they could just so that their three sons could have a better life, the father of my children. Um, what you said is true about immigrants. However, given what I know about China, there are small groups here and there of young men who are from the People's Liberation Army that are illegally coming here across. It could be. Border. That's certainly something that if well, we were paying better attention, we would. Uh, yeah. we should know, right? It shouldn't be... Uh, yeah. You know, we're guessing or we wonder or we think there might be this many. You know, that's one of the problems with all of that is we really ought to um, know so that we can yeah, say no. So yeah. we can say you can come in, but you can't. Right. For yeah. There's really good reasons for that that we but can't there do. Is one, right there is one trait thing that the men from the Liberation Army do. They get chickens break their necks and they themselves drink the blood and prepare the Well, I don't I don't I don't know that they do all that. This is an actual thing they do, I think. All right, Carol, thanks for calling. I'm out of time here today. I don't know that those kinds of things it's not even the point if they do that and all that. The point really is that while there are some people and we know there's there's issues with um what the uh communist government's doing over there, there are still lots of people also trying to escape. And that's part of education. That's part of our country. When we think about it on President's Day, you know, one of the reasons to understand the presidents that we've had, good, bad presidents, everybody from every party, is you get a sense of history and you get a sense of what our country has been about, what we ought to be about, where we failed, where we have succeeded and how we've grown and where we get off track as we are in so many ways today. A great simple way to do that is study your presidents and the things that they say. Uh, and I think you'll be able to see that. I could talk about that forever because I'm that kind of a history nerd, but we are out of time for today. I want to remind you to go to kkla.com. Half-price tuition sale begins tomorrow to put your kid in a private Christian school. And uh, go to kkla.com, click on the banner and learn more. Pick your school, and then tomorrow morning, starting at 8 o'clock in the morning, you can uh, get your kids into a new school. And I highly recommend that. Ask a Jew, ask a Christian's coming up on March 12th. You can get tickets online also at kkla.com. Everybody, this is the Pastor Scott Show. We're on every day from 3 to 5. You can follow us right now on social media at Instagram, TikTok, X, and Facebook at Pastor Scott Show, at Pastor Scott Show. And you can get the podcast of our show. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe. Everybody, drive safe. Have a good evening. I will see you tomorrow. God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.